Okay, so this is going to be another episode of the MMA Conspiracy Hour. And uh, it's going to be covering the Sean Strickland defeat of Israel Adesanya. And also PFL's complete lack of presence at the Francis Ngannou Tyson Fury press conference, which, you know, myself and Miguel, we both thought was a big miss on their part. You know, there should have been some way that PFL could have had some visibility, even if it was just a logo on the backdrop. They, they couldn't even accomplish that. So we kind of talked about the missed opportunity PFL had there by not having any visibility whatsoever and why it was just so hard to fathom that they weren't able to pull it off, which I don't think many people in the media are talking about, really. So uh, this is MMA Conspiracy Hour. Sean Strickland defeats Israel Adesanya, and PFL drops the ball again. Check it out. This is Todd Atkins. I'm here with Miguel Adorati. We're going to do another episode of the MMA Conspiracy Hour. And before we start, I want to thank our sponsor, Live to Fight Design. You can find them on Instagram at Live to Fight Design. If you use my promo code Todd Atkins, you get $20 off your order. Just for fighters who need fight banners or gyms who need uh, gym banners, they do great work there. And we're going to get into the Sean Strickland Israel Adesanya fight. And also, we're going to kind of close with uh, what happened with this Francis Ngannou. Tyson Fury fight and something that really not many people are talking about and that was just the complete lack of PFL presence at this press conference and I think Miguel has some really good stuff to close on there so Miguel first I wanted to kind of get your initial thoughts on going into the fight with Strickland I know you had some thoughts on that we didn't do a show prior but I kind of want to give you a chance to talk about what you saw heading into it you know I got like a general sense and I think some people understand. Some people say, I don't know what I'm talking about. More power to you. It's That's your choice. But I got that sense of Jose Aldo and McGregor. And that was that McGregor was as loose as a goose. And Strickland was just as loose as a goose. Happy to be there. Um, playing the mental game at its finest. You know, even racial games being played there. and But not uttering any words that are going to get him banned or anything like that. He got deep into Adesanya's head. Adesanya was uncomfortable the whole fight week leading up. And, you know, you have a chance as a fighter to step in the ring and, and erase all that with an amazing performance. And Adesanya has once again sort of fallen short when somebody's applied pressure to him. You know, Anderson Silva is the first example of where Adesanya should have won that fight. But he didn't seem to even try because of the gravity of, of facing a legend, maybe, and he was young and things. But here's another one. The other guy got into his head and won the fight before the fight happened. Strickland deserves my hats off from the very beginning. Yeah, and I want to ask you, why do you think that was? Because this fight, I know you're kind of comparing it to McGregor-Aldo, but it wasn't the magnitude of the two. Strickland wasn't an Aldo or McGregor-type opponent. I, I think that, again, let's focus on Strickland. Strickland's mind game is what won him to fight. Obviously, he's a good, skilled fighter that executed his game plan. He knows how, what works for him in the ring and stuff. But his mind games are what won him this fight. So start with the fact that 
the retort, first of all, the odds were ridiculous. You know, Ngannou's got more of a chance at beating Tyson Fury than Strickland as in, against Adesanya if you look at the odds. And that's ridiculous. That's absolutely, so the odds were ridiculous and Strickland played the underdog role just fine. It, it's very motivating to be looked at in that level. A lot of the questions for Adesanya that really put him in a, he, he's not able to handle them well and put him in a bad spot. The mind game was even played by the reporters. Just asking Adesanya, yeah, you know, you're a big favorite. You know, what's next after this for you? Or are you underestimating him? Or all those questions where they forced Adesanya to talk about the other guy's skill level. To He has to acknowledge the odds are so wide that he's better. He's got to win. It's, it's, it's Even the press seemed to play Strickland's game for him with Adesanya. Nothing worked for Adesanya in his in the buildup. He had to admit that he was a big, oh, you know, and then the guy was pissing him off, and then he wants to hurt the guy. You were given 25 minutes to hurt the guy, and you did nothing. So, and, and that to me, is, it was a pure mind game on Strickland's part, where Strickland was just wearing on him the whole time. The Chinaman jokes, um, you know, the the he caught on real fast that, like, it, it, look, I, I said that there was some racial overtones to this, and, and he didn't say anything to get banned. But when he says to Adesanya, you know, or, or to the crowd, I want to thank you, Australians, you know, uh, Adesanya, I represent these people more than you. That there is a clear racial uh, under, you know, meaning to that. And, you know, he may be right in many ways. And that war on Adesanya also. You know, facts are facts. Adesanya is an immigrant there. So it seemed like O'Malley kind of landed there and hit it off with the crowd in a very special way. Joking with people, you know, people receiving him there. Australians are, you know, kind of crazy, kind of good hosts and stuff. Tell it like it is, you know, party, have a beer, you know, the whole thing. Very much O'Malley, I think, found people there that you gave him the support. You mean yeah, that was God, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, very much I think he landed there and found what he needed to keep that mind game going. Just affirmation that some of the things that he says are right to some of the people. Why do you think Adesanya struggled so much once the fight actually started? Okay, you know, you, you, you get tense. There's something that... Jack Dempsey used to say, while you're thinking in a fight, I'm hitting you in the face. And Adesanya was thinking about this fight in the whole buildup, you know, and everybody's asking, oh, man, did you hear what he said? He called you a Chinaman. Yeah, I'm going to kill this guy. I get a chance. I, I've never wanted to hurt somebody, I think he said somewhere. Never want to hurt an opponent like I want to hurt this guy. And then you're given 25 minutes and then you don't do it. It's like, the only thing that would have been more embarrassing to Adesanya is for the bell to end after 25 rounds, up uh, to 25 minutes, and for him to attack Strickland, like, okay, now you're going to fight? You know what I mean? It's like, that's the level of not pulling the trigger that I saw there. Yeah. Yeah, it seemed like he, uh, he spent a lot of time just kind of circling away from him. You know, he couldn't, he looked pretty sloppy, actually. It was kind of surprising. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think at this point that 
um, Strickland turned the tables on him, and whatever the odds were or whatever, um, Adesanya needs to be a front runner without a lot of pressure in order to perform. It, that pressure of not, you know, of questions from your, or too much audience, it's come up a couple of times in his career where he's dropped the ball. He might win a rematch, you know, because at the end of the day, the odds, you know, tend to say, you know, he's a more complete fighter. I think Strickland's stock has gone up, obviously, you know, and Strickland should maybe hold out and not do the rematch right away. We'll see. We'll see how that develops. I think the UFC would probably push for the rematch. And it's not for the reason. This is where I think um, uh, Adesanya was wrong. I, I think he also came out kind of trying to put Strickland down and saying the UFC doesn't want him to be champion. Like saying, I, I, they want me to be champion. And I, I think the UFC at this point, um, Adesanya is a good champion for him. I think he draws a major economy in Nigeria's attention and that they monetize the way the fight gets shown there in a way that makes him big money. So they're okay with him there. But Strickland got the chance, and Strickland is a guy that get, did all the work and stuff. And, there's, you know, when the belt comes back to the United States, the UFC will be able to monetize on his next fight. So I, I think that Strickland has taken himself to the next level. And good for him. He did the work. He did the work from mind game to in-ring action. He governed his fight from the moment he landed in Australia. He he, he decided what was going to happen. Now, Dana White was pushing for the rematch in the press conference. So this would be like if Adesanya gets it. And Eugene Behrman basically said, you know, we could fight tomorrow and win the mat, rematch. That's how confident he was. Because Adesanya didn't answer questions. He had Eugene Behrman come in and do the press conference for him, which was kind of interesting. He just came and said, I'm not going to answer any questions. I'm going to go, you know, have breakfast with my team or whatever. Eugene Behrman's going to do the press conference for him. But this was probably be the first time in recent memory where a champion or anybody basically had two rematches in a row of losses, title fight losses. What do you make of it? Um, I may have hit the nail on the head when I, I talked about um, you can tell when a fighter has an ethnic background, like McGregor, for example, when McGregor fights, it starts with you've got most of Ireland and their economy and their nation watching you fight the fight. And McGregor's got that effect internationally and stuff. But I, I, I give you Kamzat and uh, Nurmagomedov. You know, Nurmagomedov is millions of Instagram viewers. So when he was champion, that means those millions of people in Russia and Chechnya and these areas where the UFC doesn't get watched a lot, all of a sudden is checking in with millions of people. And trust me, when that happened, nobody, or Nurmagomedov, yeah, yeah, he got paid. They gave him a couple million bucks for his fights and stuff. But no one really knows how the monetization goes when all of a sudden Chechnya, you know, I don't know how many people live there, but if you count, let's just talk about Russia, because Chechnya is part of Russia. And Nurmagomedov is a Russian in terms of, like, I know he's ethnic Chechnyan and, and not Slavic Russian, but you're talking about Russia, a major world economy, hundred more than 100 million people. Now the UFC is watched by maybe a million or two people there. Now you insert Kamzat or Nurmagomedov or one of those guys flying the Russian flag, but also with the ethnic, everybody in the South is watching there. Now you need your TV channel 
in Russia to show uh, Moscow and St. Petersburg are okay, but now I need to show it in Kazan as well and all over Chechnya and just becomes a different ballgame. And when that happens, yeah, what the lawsuit says against the UFC is, yeah, Norman Gomedov got a bump. So he went from making 300000 and 300000 to now making $5 million for his next fight. So Norman Gomedov's really got nothing to say because he just took such a big raise, so a raise that's so out of proportion to what, you know, a guy working nine to five and he gets his annual raises that there really is no, nobody wants to hear him complain. I just got five million, but I'm being underpaid. But that is probably the case in the way the UFC is monetized back in this country. Yeah, give him five million so he doesn't say anything. How much did they take home? And repeat this with uh, uh, Adesanya in Nigeria. Nigeria is one of the major economies on the African continent. Cameroon is not. I wonder how much that played into their decision of keeping. Adesanya so close and enjoying him with the belt and letting Ngannou, a heavyweight champion, go. Is it that the same thing happens in Nigeria? Nigerians watch an average UFC like, you know, a certain percentage of the population. But now Adesanya is in the main event and 30% of that country sits to watch the fight. Again, I don't think the adjustment for Adesanya's paychecks, I think the UFC monetizes a lot of money on their foreign fighters and their foreign guys, McGregor, the Russians, uh, Adesanya. There are other pockets of, of people that I, I think this is a, a, a spot where they're keeping a gross amount of the profits. Yeah, but how frustrating do you think it is for other fighters who they see, you know, all right, this is kind of what everybody talks about. You know, here's this guy, he's going to get another rematch. He's lost two of his last four fights, basically. You know, it's got to be frustrating for them. It is, but still, they're not going to. This is this falls under. This is still basically what Dana wants, or what the UFC wants. Maybe Dana has some influences now. You know, Endeavor probably wants to make the most money than anybody else. That they have in common with Dana of running not a non-charity, as they say. So, yeah, but at the end of the day, the decisions, Dana's the one who has the orthodoxy of saying, no, this is the way it is, and he's you know, can talk his way to a clear path. And very few people can... I, I, we still haven't seen anybody who says an alternate path and say, you know, didn't, didn't Pereira beat O'Malley? No, you mean Strickland. He keeps saying O'Malley, but... Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sorry. Pereira beat Strickland in the first fight. They had a rematch. I'm sorry, Pereira beat Adesanya in the first fight. Then they had a rematch. Adesanya knocked out Pereira in the second fight. So now you have Adesanya loses a Strickland first fight. Yeah. But Pereira has a win over Strickland. So Pereira, as a former champion, also has some type of case for a, a rematch as well. Hey, I beat the champion. I, I want to shot at him. Let's mix it up. Let's do something different. I've already fought Adesanya a dozen times. So Pereira has a case. And, you know, he's a Brazilian. They have a lot well, he of moved Brazilian. up and win already. So he's, yeah, he's kind of Now that Strickland is the belt, we'll see, we'll see how long that move up takes, you know. He would have to consider putting his name in the mix and getting more money as a title shot. Maybe, maybe not. Who else has a case? In, in well, Drinkus Duplessis for sure. Yeah, 
Yeah, do and and that's that's a problem in that Duplessis and O'Malley are almost, you know, both tailor-made foils for Adesanya. Where you know, the, Duplessis and Strickland. You keep saying O'Malley. I think you get them. Yeah, mixed I, up. I, I, <laughs> apologize. I, I took a shot to the head last night, and uh, I'm a little my wires across. But I do. I, I apologize for. I, I've been I've been Strickland every single time in this podcast. And I mean it here too. Strickland Duplessis, I think, won't move the needle as much as Adesanya against either of those guys again. That's what I think White obviously has an instinct for knowing what's going to move the needle and how they're going to move it. And, um, you know, that's another reason. I think the job is easier for them in marketing with Adesanya there. He's got the long-time history. And you can generate, just like O'Malley rode a little bit of a, you know, wave of, anti-Adesanya sentiment you know got into him like hey we're fighting in your house it doesn't feel like your house I'm getting a lot of support from these people etc 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 um Duplessis might be able to play some of that as well and you have the racial tension there and stuff like that O'Malley and Duplessis is basically you know not a big uh, as big a needle mover the the angst between the two isn't there they'll probably respect each other do you think that Strickland should try to avoid rematching Adesanya first? Maybe he should try to do something else if he has his way. To be honest with you, I, I think Strickland should just make a decision on that and just go with it. He's, he's His instincts have been very good, getting himself into the title shot, talking his way through it, you know, and owning the mind games here. If he thinks he can beat Adesanya again, he wants to do it again, let him do it. But if he does say, no, let's give somebody else a chance, I, I'd like to see Strickland's voice get listened to a little bit. I think he's earned it because I think this was – he was a major underdog. And um, like I said, he won from the moment he arrived down there. And, and it was kind of clear in all the buildup and everything like that. And it was a masterful performance. So I think we are right to honor that. And I I think there is a certain bit of Adesanya's polarizing, just like the things that Strickland bought, you know, pink toenails and this and that and and the you know the Goku drawings. It's not for everybody. And so maybe it's you know, it's time that Adesanya and how much he moves the needle in Africa and how much money you take in isn't the deciding factor here. Maybe it's time to let him take a back spot for a little bit. You know, did, you could didn't ostensibly comes up, move up to this weight division. Are we going to get a chance to see him again? Maybe they need to do an event again in the UAE in order for us to see him, or maybe they're just not going to use Russians anymore. I don't. Who no, knows? he's going to fight Paulo Costa in Abu Dhabi. That's already done. Okay, yeah. So it, it's been a while. That's all I'm saying. And mm-hmm. if comes up beats Costa, throw him his name into the mix too. <laughs> For sure. And and, and Kamzat, oddly here, even though, you know, style-wise and even ethnically, they're completely different, he makes an adequate replacement for Adesanya, if my theory is correct, that Nigeria opens up and moves the needle when a Nigerian fights, so they monetize that. Kamzat will replace that with his people, and he's got an equally powerful following. So... In in many ways, Kamzat may signal the end of the Adesanya era. 
Now, this is something I'm really excited to get into, which I, surprisingly, I'm not seeing many people talk about. And that is this uh, Siri and Ghanu press conference. I see a lot of people talking about, but not what we're going to get into. And that is the complete lack of PFL presence at this press conference. This is something we were looking out for because we've been talking a lot about this PFL Bellator sale, that which I broke a long time ago, four months or so ago. And Miguel's been paying a lot of attention to what PFL's been doing. And, uh, yeah, I just want you to kind of get into, you know, what happened. How on earth, Obviously, UFC never would have allowed this to happen. You know, Bob Arum talked about the UFC. Tyson Fury mentioned the UFC. There was zero mention of PFL. No sign of PFL, promoters or otherwise. Francis Ngannou didn't mention the PFL. So I just want to let you kind of get into this, and I'm going to let you roll with it. Yeah, you know... Look, I, I, I can be uh, very uh, arrogant and put down the PFL, and I have in here. Um, but let's just start with that this looks like a major ball drop. And uh, it, it also on the part of reporters, you know, MMA reporters, if these even exist. I mean, I know we have Todd. I don't consider myself a reporter, but I saw a live stream coming up for Tyson Fury and Ngannou. And I sat and I waited, you know, 40 minutes for the black screen and the stream to start. No other reporter seems to have done that. And then I got to watch like a red carpet where um, a couple of British, uh, Carl Frampton I recognized. And uh, I think uh, they interviewed like Joe Joyce and a few people that are there, you know, in Saudi making it the event that it is. The, uh, the setting of the, what, you know, red carpet equivalent, a beautiful backdrop with you know, uh, logos and things like that. No sign of the PFL logo. The Bob Aaron top rank logo was absolutely there. And, you know, Nganu stopped and talked. Um, and, uh, you know, his English, he's, he's never going to be like a rah-rah guy, but his English has come along and, and he held his own. Um, and he's an intimidating guy and, and he fits the role of, of, you know, heavyweight and champion stuff. And he carries himself well. But there are no real huge sound bites coming from him. Tyson Fury walks out, and then after an hour and a half, they actually sit down for the 40-minute press conference with, you know, the podium in the middle and, and the guy sitting at the table facing the audience. Now, watch this. Tyson Fury is up there. And who accompanied Tyson Fury? Tyson Fury was accompanied by Frank Warren and Bob Arum, his two promoters. Francis Ngannou was accompanied by his longtime advisor. This is an absolute ball drop. I didn't see the longtime. The longtime advisor of Ngannou is obviously nowhere near as well known as Frank Warren or uh, um. Uh, Bob was it Markel? You know, was that who that was? Was it Markel? I didn't even watch the press conference. Is that who it was? I believe they gave his name. I don't. I haven't followed it, but it, because it's a long time guy, I'm sure that Ngannou people know him and stuff. But it doesn't matter because nothing he says is going to be recognized the way Bob Arum or Frank Warren's are, are going are, are going to be recognized with their gravitas. Ngannou should have been accompanied by Don Davis, at the very least by Ray Seffler. That's the only way this press conference should have been presented. Him bringing a friend, did nobody think of this? 
hey, how do we get the PFL here? Because when Bob Arum was asked about Nganu, he talked about him being a UFC fighter. Again, the PFL not mentioned. Nganu didn't have the wherewithal to say, hey, Bob, the UFC's long ago. I'm a PFL guy now. Something like that might have been a soundbite, but he's so milky white that nothing of that came out. No defense on the PFL. So the PFL is left with zero presence here. Once you get to Tyson Fury, Fury's also, Fury seems, you know, there are times I've seen him do better stand-up, put it that way. It seemed a little contrived, but he realizes, I think, that he's got to carry Nganu on this one because is a tough opponent, you know, in terms of, like, getting him to get you mad or say something disrespectful and stuff. So he's not, you know, Fury's looking for a dance partner. And I think Fury sent some messages in this press conference. If you read between the lines, he said to him, he said, we got to put on a show. we got to put on a show. I think Fury knows. Real boxing, he should be gone in two. One or two. It should maybe feel him out one round, set up the knockout, and done in two. If, if we're doing just Queensberry rules, Fury is capable of this. That's what we believe. So any extension of that is Fury carrying his opponent. And I think if you listen to the words that he used in the press conference about putting on a show and stuff like that, I think that's exactly the message that was sent here. We're watching theater. And God is going to try. And God has said all the right things too. But again, because the script was already written, nobody could come in and say, hey, where's the PFL? You know, why is it down date? Why don't we fly? The, when MB, I guess you gotta, you know, if MBS doesn't do it himself, like this guy's got other things to worry about, like running his country and things like that. He's a controversial guy. I'm sure if they were waiting for him to say, hey, you know, I just gave 300 million to the PFL, why don't we put them on this backdrop as well? It's like, no, you gotta be proactive, you gotta be up there, get yourself in there. If you signed to take the Saudis' money, you should have been like, you know, and God who's over there this weekend at your press conference, we need to be there. Who's who? who who on the PFL side is asleep? Who can imagine? Do you remember when Dana, all the Dana was at all the Floyd Mayweather right. Conor McGregor press conferences? It was like the master of ceremony. Yeah. So a major ball drop mm -hmm. because the Fury and Gadu <clears throat> press conference in Saudi Arabia was presented like like I said, like a red carpet, like a, a beyond fighting kind of experience kind of thing. You know, uh, they call it, I forget what they call it, but there's a seasonal, like every winter since 2019, they invest in major, and this is their major investment in terms of a sporting opportunity for this season coming up in 2023. And nobody, and you know, the PFL is out there, work, their guy is working with them, and nobody thought, you know, why don't we put a freaking PFL lapel pin on Nganu? Something, you know? Not a mention. Not a mention. Again, Bob Arum is 114 years old. So if he had said, oh, you know, UFC fighter during his talk and stuff, but Nganu had been very clear that he's with the PFL now and he's going back to the PFL. And when they talk about, this is the thing is, is I think I, I'm not, I'd have to go back, but I, I know Tyson Fury never said PFL. Did he say I'll fight? I think he said I'll fight you in a cage. He didn't, he didn't say I'll fight you in the UFC, at least. Yeah. But when he's challenging him, I'll beat you in a cage 100%. He said, I'll beat you in a cage 100%. 
in the press conferences, you know, Tyson's getting into his, the flow of his of his talk. And Nganu said nothing. Nganu should have been like, all right, MF, we fight in October. I'll meet you in February in the PFL cage. Do something. Do something. There's nobody working creative in there. It's, it's kind of embarrassing. Do you think maybe the promoter or Bob Aram said, look, you guys aren't going to mention the PFL. They didn't pay me XYZ, and there's going to be no mention of them. I, I like I said, I think I think Bob Aram is representing Tyson Fury, and I wonder who's representing Ngana. And that's the problem. So Bob Aram might have said this, that, or the other thing. At the end of the day, this wasn't this is more than a boxing match. This is a showcase. For the Saudi Arabian uh, experience of right. you know entertainment and things like that, make no mistake about it. In that press conference, almost every single player that got a moment on the mic took a moment to thank the minister of entertainment, who's probably a family member of the royal, you know, in the royal family, a cousin or you know, a close family member because he's in a high position. They're putting emphasis on themselves as a destination for people to go to. So this minister, they, they thanked him at every turn. And of course, MBS gets thanked every single time. This is an ego trip for the Saudis. If you play that, Don Davis should, or somebody should have said, you know, you just gave $300 million to the PFL, or they're asking for $300 million here as part of, you know, an investment fund where we're giving this. So, could we redo your backdrop and put their logo in there? MBS says, yeah, do it. Bob Aaron will stop nothing. Yeah. And we've come around a long way, which which is pretty incredible. You know, in terms of MBS, I'm 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 you know, I'm not enamored with the deal because I find him to be extremely controversial. And also I I find him to be kind of volatile. Like I, I don't think, you know, he's settling down much. I think he's coming into his own as the richest man in the world. Who knows how that plays out? You know what I mean? But Bob Aaron was sitting there, a Jew, in, in Saudi Arabia. So times he there has been change that things have led there and stuff like that. So I think, you know, Bob also had to realize, I'm going to Saudi Arabia. I don't think, you know, Bob Aaron circa 1970-something ever imagined he'd be doing that press conference. So again, with Bob... Bob is representing Tyson Fury. Who's representing the entire event? It was in the MBS's best interest to put the PFL on the logo, especially if he's giving them money. But his entity is too big. So the thought, the seed needed to come. But there's no way you go to the Saudi end of the, of, of the presentation and go, can we get some PFL presence there? And they think it's a bad idea. And why did it not it happen? I mean, you're thinking of it. I'm thinking of it. Surely they thought of it. Yeah, and maybe, look, again, since we don't know everything, maybe they called up and, and, and MBS said, man, we've been planning the whole backdrop and everything there for the last three weeks. You're a little late, and I don't want to change it because, you know, I've already blown $5 million. I don't want to blow $5 million again because, you know, I've got trillions, but... No one likes to burn money either. You know what I mean? So they didn't want to do it. The timing wasn't right. I don't believe that because the second the fight was announced, you know it and I know it. I'd be thinking, how do we get involved if I'm the PFL? The moment the fight's announced. 
And you had to know they had knowledge of before that even. They knew the fight was going to get announced before that. So the second they knew, it had to be spinning in their head. How do we get involved? How quickly can we get involved and how much? Not, not, not only that, I, I'll go even a step further. So they're, they're all of a sudden, they're like, well, we've got Ngannou. What's going on today? Oh, Ngannou signed to fight Tyson Fury, the press conference? No. They should have been there in the buildup, in the signing, and the announcement of the fight. They should have been there already as representatives of Ngannou. Ngannou is there with a friend, his lifelong advisor, who I'm sure is a trusted person. But is a non-factor in terms of, you know, sound bites, MMA media. What did he say? What does he care? He cares about Ngannou. That's who he's, his guy is. Good for him. He had no business at that press conference. The press conference was for his promoter. That's what Tyson Fury did. So th th that to me was just, a, it's a ball drop on the part of the PFL that comes on the heels of a lot of ball drops in my mind. You know, so nobody thought of this. But somebody thought of putting a green screen on Frankie Lapenda and doing a Zoom conference call with him. Again, like I said, they got 5 million views. So that's a $20,000 check heading their way. It's big time for, you know, a big world fight company. You know, but and, and here is their $20 million signing off of the press conference, the stage over there, and your name isn't even mentioned. It's hard to believe. You do you think Dane is scared yet? No. There, there you have. You know, it's there just you hard to it. believe that they wouldn't even think to be involved. Like it, it's it's unfathomable, you know, that they wouldn't. They had to have tried to get involved. Look, trying you get an A for effort. They needed to do it. They needed to be there. They needed. They needed. To so I don't think that Don Davis, you know, flew into you know Riyadh and, and said, Hey, you know, MBS, I'm here. You got five minutes. And yeah, he's like, Look, you know, I, I need like 300 million for you know my fight show. And it's like, all right, here. You know, that process of getting money from those types of funds and stuff is pretty detailed, I think, at this point. Sure, sure, can. Some of the rich Arabs throw money around when they want. Hey, I bought my friend a car and stuff like that. Absolutely, because that's how they roll. Also, it's it's part of of the of their character. But again, they that's why they put these money in these funds to complicate things. So in those in those funds, the PFL should have been requiring them to keep them on the front line of anything fight related and go through me. You think Dana didn't take over that promotion? You know, Dana was going to grab a third of the money from, from Mayweather McGregor. And he probably earned it. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's like, it's common sense. Yeah, we're going to buy Bellator, but we need this fight here, this Tyson Fury, Francis Ngannou fight to promote PFL, to kind of flow into this sale. This is all part of one thing. You know, and yeah, to not have a presence in it, it's it's mind-boggling to me. Something had to either stop it or they're just out of their mind, one or the other. Any number of things you could script. I think, you know, Nganu could have been there in a PFL uniform. Yeah. 
not a black and white, you know, a, 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 he looked great. A tan suit, very, you know, intimidating, handsome individual and stuff like that. But I, I see that's Ngannou. Again, his promoters have no presence there. You know, Bob Arum struggled to walk up a set of stairs there. He's 90 years old. But he made it up those stairs. Don Davis couldn't even get to leave. It's It's hard for me to believe that Don Davis was in Saudi Arabia and he couldn't get in there. Like, it's like, well, no, we got no room for you. We didn't, we didn't put aside something. Make your presence felt. Make your presence felt. If you have to, in this case, like I said, if you go to MBS and tell them, look, this company here, we're donating $300 million to from our fund. Put the logo up. Can we get the logo up there? How can he say, nah, let's not do the logo? Of course he could. And that man will move him out. He'll have the whole thing redone in 24 hours if he says it. Mm -hmm. So you got to be pushy. Dana would have knocked on his door if they had been trying to box him out until he got the big guys okay. Okay. Don't talk to middleman. Don't I, I talked to my guy and they said no, the backdrop is done. Is that what Don Davis's excuse is gonna be? Or did he actually not think about it? That's the question. Either way, not a good sign. Yeah, I think it's a great thing to end on. Uh, I'm gonna let you kind of talk about the the wet nose project and uh everyone. This is a the dog rescue that Miguel's been working at, and uh we have a uh, link in the show notes for GoFundMe that we've been trying to raise some money for this. So Miguel, I'm going to let you talk about that. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you uh, Ashley's and uh, Ashley's the owner of the Wet Nose Project, my boss. I'll send you her Facebook. You know, we've been going since 2019 and I think she's got 75 animals that, you know, that are in the shelter area um, at this point, and you know, the situation for animals on a worldwide level is getting worse, not better. Uh, you know, just like I guess people's lives and things, uh, there's upturns and downturns. I, I think the animals are the first to suffer, and, and uh, you see that a lot. So, um, I'm very motivated just to try and help, and you just see great touching stories and a lot of tragedies more and more tragedies than than saves, and that's kind of sad as well. So Thank you, everybody out there, just for listening to us, and you know, give us a couple of likes and shares on some of the videos and things on on the Wet Nose Project on Facebook, and uh, just that's a huge help just to raise awareness. Yeah, everyone that watches these shows, we appreciate it, and uh, share it with somebody if you think it's a good content, and feel free to subscribe to it. And as Miguel said, uh, check out the uh, GoFundMe that I'll have in the show notes here, and uh, I'll make a separate video for it as well, and uh, see if you can get some support to. Uh, the dog rescue that Miguel's working out there in Costa Rica. And, yeah, uh, you know, I, I got hired, you know, to do videos for them and to help them, you know, create a YouTube presence. And I haven't been able to do that because there's so much like day-to-day -day work to do, you know. Um, gone out on a couple overnights to feed dogs and there was a big rescue of a hoarding situation that, you know, and then a week later it was like, hey, go, you know, go visit them and see if they're being taken care of or these, you know, people are, you know, just crazy, crazy things that you got to follow up um, overnight. Um, I know Ashley's on her way over uh, to, to another town where there's a dog that got attacked by pit bulls and is in bad shape that she's going to take to a vet and things like that. So it's, it's always, 
like I said, because the situation isn't great for animals, there's never a lack. You can't help everybody. There's never a lack of 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 need, and, and that's what is very motivating to try to do something. Yeah, we'll we'll do what we can to help for sure. And uh, people, we appreciate the support as always, and keep looking out for us until the next episode. Uh, take care. So I want to take time. Thank you for listening to MMA Conspiracy Hour again. And as always, uh, if you like these shows, tell somebody else about it. Maybe share it somewhere. Um, please be sure to follow our YouTube, which is uh, at Todd Atkins Show on YouTube. And uh, I got two more interviews I'm doing today, so I'll probably be uploading those in the, you know, maybe today or next couple of days. So uh, yeah, as always, keep putting out more episodes and. Uh, I appreciate everyone taking the time to check these out. Take care.